New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. The collective human family is straddling an unprecedented threshold time. We're living in the most difficult transition humanity will ever have to make. Yet, despite the extreme nature of our situation, we're also living in a moment of immense possibility. In the words of Francis Weller in the preface, of the revised edition of the book Choosing Earth, he writes, The passage will be long, and we will be working these evolutionary changes for decades and most likely for generations to come. Even though it is difficult, even though your heart breaks a thousand times, we must go through this time of collective initiation in order to take our place as responsible adults collaborating in the creation of a healthy and vibrant community of all beings. This will be the topic we'll be exploring today with our guest, Dwayne Elgin. Dwayne Elgin is a visionary futurist, educator, and citizen voice activist who received the Goy Pace Award in Japan in recognition of his contributions to a global vision that fosters a more sustainable and spiritual culture. Duane is currently the co-director of the Choosing Earth Project. He's the author of many books, including Voluntary Simplicity, a way of life that is outwardly simple, inwardly rich, and the revised edition of Choosing Earth, Humanity's Journey of Initiation Through Breakdown and Collapse to a Mature Planetary Community. So please do join us for the next hours. We explore our planetary collective initiation and the invitation to become midwives and guides to a positive future with our guest, Dwayne Elgin. I'm speaking with Dwayne from his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Dwayne, welcome. <laughs> Justine, we've known one another for decades. It's a great pleasure to be here with you. I look forward to speaking with your extended community around the world. 
Thank you so much. It's so true. We, we've we been on this path for a while and as fellow pilgrims, so to speak. <laughs> we're today going to be talking about the evolutionary journey that takes us into a planetary initiation. So I would love for you to, to first of all, tell us in these transformative times, what do you consider the biggest focus right now, the first big focus that we're on right now? Well, right now, certainly the popular imagination is focused on climate change. And that's what you hear almost every time you speak about the world in a situation of crisis. They say, oh, you mean climate change? And I say, well, yes, but there's so much more. There's uh, We're facing uh, a species extinction, one of the great mass extinctions of life on Earth. We're seeing extraordinary overshoot uh, beyond the carrying capacity of the Earth to carry the burden of humanity into the further future. Uh, we're seeing the depletion of resources and so on. So what we're really facing is not simply a climate crisis that is widely recognized, but a whole systems crisis. And there's one key aspect of this is so important to understand. If we think it's a crisis, it's something that we can often imagine being fixed. But this is not a crisis to be fixed, but a powerful force moving through the world to be guided and to shift our mindset. From fixing something uh, to guiding something is an extraordinary uh, transition in our thinking as a species, because what we want to do is fix it and go back to how it used to be, but it will never go back. We're going forward. And to the extent that we resist going forward, which is profoundly the case right now, well, then we will crash into an evolutionary wall or experience a time of increasing authoritarianism uh, before we actually grow up enough to take our way into a more promising future. You know, Duane, that reminds me, um, one of the things that you mentioned in your book, you talk about PTSD, and that's post-traumatic stress disorder. And you really, to further the point you've just made is you talk about CPTS, chronic planetary traumatic stress. And instead right. of that brief, relatively brief traumatic stress that we talk about with PTSD, which I think came from veterans returning from the wars, and and that's when we first heard that right. term. You're you're talking about the idea that that this is a life long planetary in scope not right. just just a brief like okay we're gonna fix this that's right this is not something to fix it is something to go through and that change of word goes from a static situation to a dynamic one where we're moving with it and instead of trying to dominate what has been the case, we need to go into dancing with what is emerging now. And, and to the extent that we don't go with the flow of the world in transformation, we're going to be resisting it. And the resistance is going to show up as enormous stress. 
And people around the planet are experiencing this right now. My guess is it's about uh, at least a quarter uh, of the human family would say, I am way more stressed now than I have been in the past. And I'm aware of climate change, species extinction, these other uh, driving trends. And it is unsettling my life. And it looks like it's just going to get progressively worse until we take responsibility for what we are creating and and create a more mature world for ourselves. You know, Twain, I wanted to say, just to give our listeners an idea of your background, because you've been at this for a long time. I mean, I remember back in 1976, you were a senior uh, social scientist on a project for the National Science Foundation. And even before that, you worked as a senior staff member uh, for the Presidential Commission of Population Growth and the American Future. That was in 1972. And then you wrote your book, Voluntary Simplicity, which was highly popular in the, at that time in 1981. So you've been looking at this for a long time. I just want to send my deep respect <laughs> to you. you. Thank for you. for how long you've hung in there and now here we are again and here you're you're helping us to really understand where we are to get us out of our avoidance or our denials or our ways of distracting ourselves or even where we we hold many of us will say oh we can get out of this because there'll be some sort of technological breakthrough that's just going to change everything. What would you have to say to that? Um, it's too little and too late to turn to technology to save us. Uh, I learned about climate change in the early 1970s when I was working on that presidential commission and then for the National Science Foundation and so on doing future studies. We knew back in 1975, for example, that by this decade, we would be in big trouble unless we dealt with climate change, seriously. And uh, so the study uh, guides the people in charge said, well, we're not gonna put climate change in our, our report. It's just too far into the future, uh, even though that's what we were supposed to be looking at. And uh, and I said, no, we got to include climate change. And lo, lo and behold, the years have gone by, the decades have gone by, and it is now too little and too late to turn to technology to transform the situation. It's really important that we are using technology, the solar uh, panels and the electric cars and all the rest. That's really, really important. But it's not sufficient. We require a profound transformation in how we live on this earth. And it's been estimated that the carrying capacity of the earth for humans is somewhere around two or three billion people living in middle-class Eastern European lifestyles, moderate uh, levels of living, uh, two or three billion people. Now, we currently have 8 billion people on the planet, and it's growing. So we may be, say, roughly 5 billion people over carrying capacity, and all of the wiggle room has been used up. 
is gone. It's nothing left. Uh, and so we're moving into the deficit region finally. Uh, that, that has been the concern of scientists looking at the limits to growth. Uh, we've reached those limits and we're now exceeding them and we're beginning to see the consequences, which leads to the collapse, the breakdown and collapse of uh, civilization on the planet. Uh, it's it's a hard uh, story, but boy, that is what is happening: breakdown and collapse. Then the question is, well, what comes out of that? What happens after that? Uh, well, one possibility is what I would call functional extinction, and that's where it doesn't mean we all die, but it means functionally the uh, the functionality of the civilizations on the earth will be extinct. And if you look back, the Roman civilization fell, the high civilization fell, and the people dispersed and, and went away. Uh, but the civilization itself did not reconfigure. Uh, the same is true with the uh, in Central America and, and the Incan and A Aztec empires. When they collapsed and, and broke apart, uh, their people went off to the jungle. They were still alive for the most part, but the ability to structure a high level of civilization was gone. So uh, functional extinction is one possibility, and it's in our, our species past. A second possibility is authoritarianism, and we're seeing that really get hold in the United States, other parts of the world, certainly China, Russia, potentially to some extent India. Uh, we are in a transition towards a right-wing authoritarian mindset. Who's Someone's got to take control of this. I, I want to just take a break because okay. like you're you're filled us with a lot of information and and I I want to go into how we can move through this as you okay. say as as we guide our way through this and I want to mention to our listeners I'm here with Dwayne Elgin he's the author of the revised edition of Choosing Earth Humanity's Journey of Initiation through Breakdown and Collapse to a Mature planetary community. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dwayne Elgin, and he is a futurist and co-director of the Choosing Earth Project, and he's the author of Choosing Earth, a revised edition. Dwayne, you were just saying uh, the different scenarios that we have before us as far as how we could go. We could go into 
extinction, you said functional extinction, we can go into authoritarianism. Is there anything you want to add to that uh, before we go into the third idea of what we could go into or choose? You just said the authoritarian outcome is being propelled by artificial intelligence. And these new systems that we're seeing are being combined with other uh, computing capacities like facial recognition and the rest to provide a mechanism, a means, a technology to keep track of a billion or more people. No problem with the kind of technologies that we have. So uh, we are behind the curve in terms of preserving our freedoms, and our freedoms depend now on our maturity. So that then, uh, Justine, brings us to our third outcome, uh, our third future, that of initiation, uh, a transformation. And it, it requires, here's the thing, people don't necessarily recognize this requires a change in every aspect of life, from the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the car that we drive, the home in which we live, the work that we do, the vacations that we take, and so on. You, you begin to see, is everything is on the line here. Would we step up and take charge of that? Um, uh, well, that's going to take a new level of maturity. And so there's a key insight that I want to share with the audience. For over 30 years, I've been going out and giving talks around the world. And often before I begin giving a talk, I will say, look, I want to ask you a question. Before I say anything, let me ask this. And I say, when you look at the human family and our behaviors, what life stage do you think we're in? Are we behaving like toddlers, teenagers, adults, or elders? Four choices, toddlers, teenagers, adults, or elders. And uh, I say, please turn to someone you've never met, talk about this for five minutes, then we're going to take a vote on the life stage of the human family. So I've asked this all around the world. And um, initially, people don't know what to say after about five seconds, though it explodes in the conversation because almost everyone has a point of view. After five minutes, we take a vote. And I ask people not only to raise their hands, but to stand up for their point of view. And it's astonishing. Everywhere around the world, I've asked this question, all kinds of audiences. It turns out that about 25% will say, well, we're in our toddler's uh, stage as, as a species. And then I said, well, how many uh, feel we're in our teenage stage or adolescent stage? Three quarters of the audience again and again and again around the world, step up. And I haven't said anything yet. That's their understanding of what is going on. And it conforms with my own understanding as well. We're in our adolescence. Now, that's good news. Because the next stage after adolescence is our early adulthood. And without adulthood, we have a degree of maturity with which to stand back and look at what we're doing, more of a reflective consciousness, more of a uh, responsibility for the well-being of life. That is one of the aspects of maturity. So, Duane, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because I want you to pause for a moment on the adolescent stage. So. Okay. Describe what that stage is like, both in in our personal development as adolescents, but also collectively. Yes. 
Well, in in our adolescence, um, we say, well, who's in and who's out? Who's part of this community and who's not? So division is right there at the get-go with the adolescent. The adolescent says, well, how do you look? today uh you know what, what are your clothes the car what you know what do you have here and so then materialism gets an extra push um the uh, mindset of the adolescent is well it's about me isn't it it's all about me and uh well the we gets lost in the meanness of the adolescent mindset so you can begin to see that uh an adolescent mindset and is isn't not... an instant gratification it's yes another one exactly Exactly. Uh, I want it now. I'm not going to wait. So give it to me now. So there is so many ways that we are behaving in an adolescent kind of manner as a species right now, or want to if we don't have the resources to enable that. So maturity can come out of the suffering. We're going into a time of extraordinary uh, stress, suffering um, as a species, and that suffering can be a catalyst for awakening. Uh, The suffering, the sorrow, the loss that we're going to be experiencing are going to wake us up with gratitude for what we have lost and what we still have to gain. So that is the beginning of the transition from adolescence to adulthood and we're in it right now it's our it's underway so what do you would you say like the attributes of this uh, maturing adult would be shifting from let's say rebellion to collaboration yes or recklessness to discernment or um others separation (laughs) uh is is giving way would give way to um being part of a larger knowing where we're not separate, but there's That's an right. interconnection. So is that what you would say would be yeah. attributes of a maturing adult or Indeed, maturing? I would. And a sense of identity. Right now, our sense of identity tends to be pretty close. And we identify with a clique, the group, uh, the the racial, uh, con- the, whatever that we uh, identify with. That's our those are our peers. Those are our group. But we need to have an identity of ourselves as a beings. Um, we're all one species uh, biologically. We're all one species. Uh, we're all going to go through this together. Uh, we need to have the identity of, of uh, collaboration, uh, of community. We are building community at a global scale on the likes of which we've never seen before. And we have the technology, the tools to enable us to reach out as a global community. I'll speak about that. I mean, I know we're going to get into community and 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 that, how, how we can move into that. But I, I would love for you, because I know it's very important for you to help us understand that we are living in a living, dynamic universe. This yes. is not a dead universe made up of only material bits. That it, they say something about the living universe that we Great. are part of. It's so foundational, uh, Justine. Thank you. Um, for the last three or four hundred years, we've been progressively assuming that we're living in a universe essentially of dead matter and empty space. Dead matter and empty space. 
And that's the scientists for for hundreds of years have said, well, that's pretty much all that we've got. Dead matter and empty space. What do we do with that? Well, uh, let's see if we can't uh, transform that dead stuff into something useful to humans. And what we're doing essentially then is we're exploiting what we presume to be dead uh, on behalf of those that are alive. And this exploitive mindset is natural. It's just naturally, if it's dead, well, of course, exploit it um, and use it up, consume it. So the whole consumerist materialist mindset really emerges out of a paradigm, a mindset uh, that is dead. But science now is beginning to merge with with uh, spirituality, and uh, this is a, a longer story. But science is is being amazed, stunned by the uh, the nature of the universe itself as a living system, and it's a living regenerative system through the lens of science, and likewise through the lens of spiritual traditions around the world. And we can recall that the most ancient traditions that we have say it's alive. This is the indigenous mindset. Uh, the fir first miracle in life is that there's anything here at all. And what is here as an astonishing universe of, say, two trillion galaxies and so on. So we are discovering through the mindset of the eyes of science and the eyes of spirituality, it's alive. Now, here's where that hits the bottom line, just the bottom line. If it's dead, exploit it. If it's alive, take care of it. Oh, great. I want to mention, there's a quote from your book, from you. You say, we cannot repair the earth without healing ourselves and our relationship with the rest of life. Yes. And then you go on to, to give another quote. You quote another person. He's a scientist, Gus Spieth, and uh, he's a director of the Council on environmental quality. And I love this quote. I'm going to read it for our listeners. He says, I used to think the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. But I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and empathy. And to deal with those, we need a spiritual and cultural transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. That's right. <laughs> I loved uh, Gus right. Beef's, uh quote there. And it goes along with what you're saying is that this is a cultural transformation and initiation that cannot be avoided. As uh, Francis Weller said in the intro to your book, we're on this, whether we like it or not. The train right. has left the station. That's right. Uh, so here we are going on into, into this. And anything you want to add? Yes. It has to do with initiation. Uh, the initiation is not to, for us as people. It's for the community that we live within. It's for the well-being of life. And the, the function of initiation is to grow up. And it's to take your role in the mature community of uh, adults that are supposed to be taking care of not only of themselves and but also the the ecology that surrounds. So uh, that's the function of initiation. Grow up, be a part of the uh, of the elders that uh, that are in charge of caring for the well-being of the earth. 
And an initiation is not an ascension. It's not going up into the heavens or or it's it's a going down. It's a yep. descent. It's an integration, connection, integration. Come on home to the earth. Uh, don't leave it in your into your thoughts. Come home and your direct experience of life, and feel your your appreciate your rec- your participation in the, in this ecology of life. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dwayne Elgin, and he is the author of the revised edition "Choosing Earth: Humanity's Journey of Initiation Through Breakdown and Collapse." to mature planetary community. And if you want to know more about his work and his work with um, the Choosing Earth Project, you can go to his website, DwayneElgin.com. And his spells his name, Dwayne, D-U-A-N-E, Elgin, E-L-G-I-N, DwayneElgin.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with futurist and co-director of the Choosing Earth Project and author of Choosing Earth, the revised edition of the book. Dwayne, you mentioned going down in the initiation and you talked about the earth. And Dwayne, that is really up for me these days. And I've been looking at something about choosing and looking at the soil, the actual physical dirt soil of my being, and where do I go psychologically or spiritually? Where do I go? And this goes to the work of um, Christopher Alexander, who you mentioned in the book, who did a wonderful book called Pattern Language. And he talks about how we're all in some ways pattern in in this way of the the very earth that we're born with or that we go to and for me it's my ancestral home in fact on my altar i have a a a photograph of a tree and a rock in front of the tree where i used to sit as a child growing up on this actual land and so it, I think it's really important what you're saying is that we go back to the, the soil of our being, both metaphorically and physically. And literally, yes. Uh, well, this speaks to me, uh, Justine. I grew up on a farm. Uh, I've spent at least a dozen years doing nothing but farming with my uh, father in Idaho. So I have a lot of experience with the earth. And one thing I've I've learned recently, though, uh, has to do with uh, the origin of the word human. Human uh, has apparently origins in the word hummus, uh, which is the earth. 
And so the hummus uh, of the earth has grown into we as human. And uh, so indeed, if we're going to make a journey home uh, to ourselves, we need to come home to our origins and to claim our, our residence with a living earth and a living universe. And so uh, what you're speaking about, I think, is really central to what we're, we're doing right now, coming home to the earth. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm also thinking about here we are in if we use the metaphor in terms of um, uh, computers, um, the need to reboot or install a new system of software to move from, let's say, competition and aggression and consumerism to cooperation, collaboration, and a paradigm of symbiosis uh, or mutualism. And, you know, it's going back to the earth. That reminds me of tree. A tree lives in total symbiosis with so many systems. It's just amazing. I mean, the ground through the micro, micro fungi, uh, through the, the leaves and the seasons and the birds and the trunks and every, all of it. It's just right there. So what would you say about uh, our need for that kind of mutual symbiosis? Well, that, that Justine speaks to me of the um, to the mature human on the earth. We are so endangered if we, if we're looking at the prospect of functional extinction of the species, and we're in in the in the process of um, killing off upwards of fifty percent of all life on the planet in the next hundred years. This is extraordinary what we're doing, and so symbiosis with with the species is survival. It's, it's not only survival in a material sense, it is uh, recognizing uh, the wounds uh, in a spiritual sense. You know, Paul Ehrlich wrote a book on the population bomb and, and, and such. He's now been recently uh, interested in uh, the loss of uh, species around, around the uh, earth. And he said he made this important comment. He said, there's an inherent sadness in, in our living on the earth right now because, quote, what we're losing is our only known living companions in the entire universe. We're losing our only known living companions in the entire universe. We're killing them off. Isn't that extraordinary? Uh, we're we're diminishing the the web of life and the presence of life. What if we said, okay, well, let's kill us one species off. Let's call it dogs. How many people have a dog? Well, there are about eight billion dogs on the planet. Okay, wouldn't that be an enormous loss if you lost that one species out of hundreds of thousands? So. Uh, we're not yet aware of what we're losing uh, in in the face of uh, well, progress. we are we are in a bit of denial, more than a no. bit. But you mention in your book there are seven uplifting forces, and I, I would like to to begin to go into some of those uplifting forces, such as okay. um, one is. I was I was surprised that you chose this one, uh, and I'd love for you to elaborate on it. You say choosing aliveness. Yeah. So, what does that mean for you? Well, uh, let's go back to um, 
conversation with Joseph Campbell, this uh, the mythologist and uh, historian and such, looking at the uh, wisdom uh, traditions around the world through generations and such. He was asked, uh, he, an interviewer said, well, look, isn't what people are looking for is more meaning in life? Isn't that what people want? Meaning in life. Campbell surprisingly said, no. What people really want is the direct experience of being alive, the direct experience of being alive. Well, when does that happen? Well, um, maybe out there in the garden, maybe sailing a boat, maybe uh, cooking a meal, maybe making love to your partner, maybe uh, making music, maybe writing poetry. There are all kinds of ways people come alive, uh, and it doesn't cost much at all. No. So if what people really want is uh, the direct experience of being alive, we can afford that. That's really. But if what people think they want is a big boat and a big vacation somewhere or whatever, well, we can't afford it. We don't have the resources on the planet to do that. So the key to our future is to see that it is the direct experience of aliveness itself that for mature people brings the greatest degree of satisfaction and the least harm to the earth. And and there's another quote that, that you use in the book besides Joseph Campbell, who you worked with. And of course, yeah. listeners know we've interviewed him many times. Um, it's This is with philosopher, theologian, and civil rights leader Howard Thurman. And you use this quote in the book, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And right. in, in that way, you say it's not necessarily that you have to consume anything. It's like making making a creative expression uh uh, or or being of service to others. I mean, isn't that where, when we're with others in companionship and we're, and we're giving a caring gift to them, it it just makes us feel so good. Right. Uh, well, you mentioned a gifts. Uh, each one of us has near gifts and true gifts. True gifts are things that we're really blessed uh, to have. You know, we might be musicians, but uh, have a difficult finding time finding a gig for our talents. But we might be poets. We might be painters and so on. Or Those even gardeners. Gardeners. There you go. Uh, so our true gifts could be those kinds of things, but we're making a living often by our near gifts. Well, I sell real estate. No, I sell insurance or this or that. And uh, it's making a living so you can go do what otherwise would just bring you alive and that with your true gifts. So uh, we're in transition, I'm hoping, to a uh, society where people are giving their true gifts. Yes, and and that's just totally supported. I would like to go into also um, that one of the uplifting forces has to do with community. And I know that you have a lot of things to say about community. And, and one of the things that you talk about, something that's close to us, you talk about pocket neighborhoods. Right. One of the first things that, that really is close to each one of us. We all live in some sort of neighborhood. Right. And what is a pocket neighborhood and how can that support us in uplifting in this transition? 
people are living in these suburban uh, <laughs> suburban regions where uh, it's so difficult to connect with your neighbor. And a pocket neighborhood is simply a place where two or three uh, homes, let's say, come together and say, look, uh, let's tear down the fence. Let's create a, a, a community garden that, that embraces three households. Let's let the kids play. Let's let the dogs run around in the back or, or whatever. Let's cook meals on occasion together and so on and so on. And so it's a simple way to begin to restructure our lives in a more communal, collaborative, creative cooperative way. Uh, so that would be a pocket neighbor that's at the very local level. And we can just then take that principle of design, of collaboration and community building and, and ecological restoration and all the rest, and just carry that right on up to uh, co-housing communities, into transition towns, into uh, uh, with eco-villages, and then into a state like California and so on that says we're going to become an ecological state, uh, whole countries like China is saying we're going to become an ecological civilization. So this is something that scales from the very lo most local level all the way up to the uh, planetary uh, scale. It's out there in the zeitgeist of the mindset of our uh, of our world right now. There is, I've done an interview on, it's called Cool Cities Initiative, I think, and that's one of them. And transition cities, there's also a lot of information on that where people can really get to know our neighbors and support each other, share tools, share information, help one another. That's right. I mean, many people, they don't even know their neighbors or if they live in an apartment building, they don't even know even their neighbor in the next apartment. So it's like saying, this is got to change. This does not uplift us. Living in isolation is not the choice we need to make in these days. Right. So I I just want to emphasize that. And we'll talk more about some uplifting forces, including communication and and internet, uh, electronic town meetings and things. I'm here with Dwayne Elgin, and he is the author of the revised edition of Choosing Earth, Humanity's Journey of Initiation Through Breakdown and Collapse to a Mature Planetary Community. His website is DwayneElgin.com, and it has everything in there, including the Choosing Earth Project and uh, all sorts of information and videos and, and podcasts, everything. So check it out. Dwayne Elgin, D-U-A-N-E-E-L-G-I-N, DwayneElgin.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Towns. You're listening to New Dimensions. Oh,
I'm here with Dwayne Elgin, and he is the author of many books, including the revised edition of Choosing Earth. You have added in your book like seven uplifting forces that we could choose. And one of those forces is communication. And I would love for you to talk about what is possible and what we should be aware of in communication technologies. Great. Well, underlying this is is a basic idea. When push comes to shove, and that's right now, we either talk or we fight. We either talk or we fight. And we're fighting right now. And this fighting is spreading around the earth. We better get up and get ready to talk our way into a more promising future. And, and I've been speaking about the shift from adolescence to adulthood, uh, maturing, growing up. And certainly one expression of that is that we would talk to one another as a human family uh, in this endangered time for the, for the earth. And people say, well, yes, but how in the world can we talk together as a human family? And a revolution has been underway since uh, for the last five years that we're not really paying much attention to. And that is a revolution in terms of access to the Internet around the world. And in 2018, for the first time, 50% of the people on the planet got access to the Internet. Now, five years later, now, that's gone from 50% to two-thirds, from half to two-thirds. And by the end of this decade, three-quarters of the people on the planet will have access to the Internet. Now, whether or not governments allow them to use that access to tune into transformational uh, voices, that's yet to be heard. Well, there's something that you talk about, digital authoritarianism. You give us a cautionary tale, like, all right, we may have uh, access to the Internet, and there's a caution there. There, there is in that uh, countries like uh, China and Russia, to some extent, India, uh, other countries more in uh, Asia are, are tending towards authoritarian cultures that close off with a firewall uh, the Internet to outside countries and then control the access of people within the country to the information that they get. So that's what I call a digital dictatorship. And those are spreading around the world. And in the United States, that uh, impulse is spreading. So it's important not to just surrender the Internet and the capacity for us to speak together as a human family to those who would want a digital dictatorship. So right now, two-thirds of the people on the planet could pick up their cell phone and with some degree of hope know that they're going to connect with perhaps a half the people on the planet if they, if they wanted, uh, and maybe more given the leaky nature of the internet uh, to get alternative messages through. So if we are going to come to a place of, of collective understanding, mutual agreement as a species, even in the simplest terms, about we're on this planet together and we want to choose a pathway into the future that uh, 
delivers a livable earth, a livable earth here 50 or 100 years from now. Well, we better start talking and we better start using every tool of communication that we have. And right now we have this revolutionary opening with uh, the Internet now available to two thirds of the people on the planet. And if we can get through the governance issues of uh, firewalls and such with a place like China, we can talk together meaningfully as a species right now. I think with the internet and especially with COVID, many of us, many of us in the last few years really started using places like Zoom meetings and other kinds of electronic meetings where we met together often. And even if we weren't together physically, we were together in many ways having very deep conversations. I know for me, I had several groups that I met with and continue to meet with about thoughts on racism and social justice. And so we've been meeting on regular basis, a, a diverse group of people regularly and deepening our relationship. There's also, I know where I live, there's upcoming, and I put it on my my phone, there's a meeting that I want to attend. It's a, a Zoom meeting of our local supervisors or, or a city council meeting. So I don't have to be there physically, but I can zoom into it and my voice will be heard. You you talk about these, these incredible internet uh, ETM or electronic town meetings. So say something about that and and how exciting that can be for yeah. our future well it's like your supervisor meeting uh justine that uh now it's just commonplace of course we can uh be a part of uh, these gatherings these meetings 40 years ago i started a, a movement for electronic town meetings in the san francisco bay area and we use television to give people programming in prime time and use the telephones to give feedback and so we had a program, a prime time in the Bay Area, uh, electronic town meeting was seen by over 300,000 people in that hour. 300,000 people. That was amazing. <laughs> and six votes came in from the scientific sample during the course of that hour. And by the end of the hour, and it was from a scientific sample, so you could trust who was giving feedback. By the end of the hour, it was clear that the people on the program itself in the studio had a mindset that was radically different from the people out in the uh, out in the world. And so we can, uh, as a public, I think, trust the collective mindset of people much more than we can the opinionators, uh, let's say, in a, in a place like Washington, D.C. Uh, so I'm for democratizing the conversation of democracy for the entire earth, for our, our future. And we need it now, not a decade from now or three decades. We need to be working on that now. Well, that, that reminds me to ask you, what is your recommendation and advice of how we find trustworthy information? Because we are fed a lot of very um, untrustworthy, I would say, information or very skewed information. What's your best advice there? Well, my uh, best advice is uh, look broadly, uh, look wide. Um, don't trust any one particular source. Uh, but uh, I, 
at times I'll open up dozens of websites from around the world, deliberately from India, from Ireland, from yeah, just around the world, and give me another point of view on this. So first of all, other perspectives are are really foundational. And then I think it's really important to just trust ourselves and not get enmeshed so deeply into the all the conspiracy theories and all of the ins and outs and this and that, but stand back with reflective consciousness and look at this and just feel into this and say, okay, how much of this is really causing me traumatic stress and how much is actually serving me as a citizen of, of, of the democracy? So um, it requires our maturity to be discerning going in and to look broadly uh, as we as we gather that understanding as well, and then to look deeply. Are the are these short term prognostications, or are there some larger perspective? We need perspective as we go into this uh, transforming future. And in doing that, Dwayne, it seems to me that it also helps us reflect on our own particular biases. And our own particular, it it might challenge our own particular belief systems. And that's a good thing. That is a really good thing. That's an important thing. And if we're going for our maturity and not just who's in, who's out as an adolescent, but we're going for our maturity, uh, we want to be challenged. That welcome the challenge, bring it in and, and learn from that. I want to end our conversation today because it is a finite conversation, I'm sorry to say. And this is at the end of your book, somewhere near the end of your book. You do a quote from the person, the French person who wrote uh, the book, The Little Prince, Antoine de Saint-Jupri. And he said, I, I love this quote. He said, If you want to build a ship, Don't drum up people to collect wood or assign them the task of work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. So with that quote, uh, what big vision can you share with us to help us join together creatively to see that endless immensity of the sea. What yeah. what would you have to say, Dwayne? It came up earlier when we were talking about a living universe. And uh, if we live in a living universe, uh, the endless immense sea is the sea of aliveness that extends across billions of of miles and we're we're embraced in in a, in a sea of aliveness that that is beyond our current comprehension and so what i would call ask people is let that call us into the future uh, we're learning to live in a living universe and in living in that living universe we're living in a new kind of uh domain of aliveness uh, new kinds of potentials are going to emerge live in that uh, world of aliveness Oh, Dwayne, thank you so much for being with us today and showing, you know, giving us an overview, which is not easy to look at, 
but you've also given us an opportunity to see the possibilities of the future. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Dwayne Elgin, and he is the author of the revised edition of Choosing Earth, Humanity's Journey of Initiation Through Breakdown and Collapse to a Mature Planetary Community. His website is DwayneElgin.com. He spells his name D-U-A-N-E. E-L-G-I-N, DwayneElgin.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3800. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.